What does it mean to be the church? For many people, the church is the pastor. The church becomes the identity of the pastor. And I think a lot of the time you will see, oh, I have a nice little picture of a pastor, honey. You want to put that up there? Look at that. Does that look like me? I don't have the pulpit. We need, a, we need a stool. I'm also what? Not that skinny. That's true. But you know, a lot of times the identity of a church is surrounded by its pastor. And so what happens is we will see in the news a pastor will fall and therefore his church will crumble. And that's because they carried the identity of the pastor. Another thing that we see a lot is sometimes the church carries the identity of the staff. It may not be the pastor, but what happens is in the individual ministries, people really adhere to and begin to really latch on to different members of the staff. You may think that the pastor is an idiot, but you love the worship leader, right? So you, you really grab on to that worship leader, and, and the same obstacle can happen. Uh, that worship leader, that youth pastor, that associate pastor, whatever it may be, may hold a very monumental place inside of your heart. And there's nothing wrong with loving them, but what I'm telling is they cannot be the church to you. Because if they fall, you will fall. Also, the band. Look at Greg. Oh, you're gone. Never mind, don't look at Greg. Imagine, we should have put a picture of you behind that drum set. That's right, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The band. The band oftentimes becomes the church to people. I like the worship, I don't like the worship, I'm going to leave the church because of the band or the worship leader or how they sing or how loud the drums are or how many times your heart palpitates and everything else, good and bad. Right? And what happens is, is you will never adhere or become a part of a church because little things like this, and they are little, little things like this will sway you and begin to put into your mind the judgment of the overall body. The ministries become the church to a lot of people. What I can do in ministry dictates the church to me, or what the church does or does not do in ministry dictates whether I do or do not like the church. But what we find out is, if we read scripture, is that the church is not any of these things. That what Jesus tells us very plainly in his gospel is that the church is you. And the church is what you make it. You know, oftentimes we say we don't like the pastor's preaching, but Lord knows he ain't called me to preach, right? We don't like how so-and-so teaches a class, but Lord knows he ain't called me to teach. I don't like the ministries of this particular church, but for some reason I've, I've never led a ministry or been a part of any of them um, to make a change or to make a difference. And so what happens is we become consumers in, of our churches and not an actual part of the church. We don't understand fully that the church is me. But it's not just me. The church is me with a vision. The church is me with a vision. See, we get lost in the crowd when we don't have a vision. We get lost in the crowd when we don't have a vision. We become a consumer when we don't have a vision. The vision of us at this church is to love God and to love people, right? 
that's been said to you enough that has pounded into your heart. You know, we have actually, uh, this week, Brett and I were looking at a lot of different church websites. We're comparing our website. And church after church after church after church, we have seen love God, love people. And a couple things happened. First, I was like, dude, we are not unique at all. (laughs) But the second thing I thought is, if we all seriously had this as our vision statement, how different would we be to the world? If we really enacted this in our hearts and it really became the vision of our churches, how different would we be to the world? How different would we look? So we start to ask, how does this happen? How can we become the church? How can we become a people of vision and not just consumers, not just people who sit back and decide, I would really like to have a fog machine this week, and if you don't have a fog machine, Holly, I'm out, right? Thank you. So how do we become a people with vision? Well, I want you to turn, if you will, to your uh, Bibles or your cell phones or your iPads or your whatever you look at the Bible on. To Judges, we're going to be in chapters 6 through 8. We're not going to read all the chapters, but we're going to read little parts of chapters 6 through 8. And we're going to look at the story of Gideon because I think Gideon gives us a great example of how one... First off, fears being a part of the church, and then what happens when one decides to take that leap of step and to really get plugged in? Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four different areas that we can really become the church, not just consumers, but become the church, become people with a vision. The first way is to get plugged in. I feel like we're going to blow up. That's like the third time that's, is it a light bulb? We're going to talk about Gideon, and before we get into this, i got to set it up a little bit because I want you to understand what's going on here. God is giving the Israelites the promised land, okay? God is, is sending them forth. They are, or have been in the past, annihilating the tribes that are part of that land because God, a couple of reasons, God has promised them that land, and secondly, God wants those people to see what a people who are in love with and follow and trust in God can really do. So God is flexing his authority a little bit here. And so he's sending the Israelites into this promised land. And what happened is the Israelites set up camp. And for the next few years, they are really having it good. They got good land. They're able to raise crops. They're feeding their families. you got to remember where they came from, right? They're, they're desert people. And they're coming into this fertile, amazing place. And what happens is, is the same thing happens to the Israelites that often happens to us in times of great blessing. They got fat, right? They laid back. Everything good happened. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Everything good happened. And so before you know it, they got lazy. And then all of a sudden, nothing was really coming from God Things were now coming from the land, or things were now coming forth because they were so great. The battles that they won, no longer God won. Also, influences were starting to come into their land. A lot of them were starting to now worship Baal, who was a false god, but really prominent in that area. As they moved in, they began to adopt that. And so now, God is not the God of the Israelites, but he is one of the gods, And they're worshiping other things, and other things are happening. And so finally, 
an interesting story starts in Judges chapter 6. What we find is that the Midianites, who are the people from, anybody want to guess? Hey, you're with me. Detroit. But the Midianites began to get all of the other tribes that are around, and, and they kind of form uh, what you would call a, um, what? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, let's call it that, right? So, so they're going into this, they're going into this, I'm trying to think, what's the word in survivor they always use? No, they formed their little alliance. That's what they were doing. You with me? So, <laughs> stay with me and you guys can preach your own sermon. <clears throat> so the Midianites are coming together together in all the other tribes and they have formed the master alliance, right? And they're going down and the, and the cool thing that they have figured out to do is they have sat back and they're watching the Israelites all year long plant their crops, take care of their crops and get ready. And when harvest time comes, the Midianites and all this, you know, great a group of people goes down into this land and they eat all the crops, they feed their animals, they do everything, and then they burn them. And so the Israelites have worked all year on this crop and they get none of it. And so it happens the first time, and do you know what the Israelites do? The, yeah. They whine, they don't do anything, and, and so they go back out and they plant. So it happens for the second year in a row. And I'm sure by this time the Midianites are like, dude, there's no way that they're going to go out there and plant again. But they do, right? So it happens for a third year, and a fourth year, and a fifth year, and a sixth year, and finally in the seventh year, the Israelites say, God, what's going on? Seven years later, they decide that now they're going to speak up and really ask God what the problem is here. And so God sends a prophet, and I love what the prophet tells the people. Prophet comes to the people and he says, if you don't live the way that God honors, you will have to live with the consequences. If you don't live the way that God honors, you are going to have to live with the consequences. What was happening with the Israelites is, it took them seven years to figure out that they were doing something wrong. It took them seven times of the Midianites and all their posse of people coming in and taking their food and burning what's left for them to really figure out, maybe something's wrong here. And, and we can laugh at that and we can giggle, but let's be honest, in our own lives, we've done the exact same thing. We are creatures of creating the exact same problem over and over again until we finally hit our heads against a steel post and say, God, what's going on? Because it seems like for some reason you're not blessing me like you have been. Things were going good, and now it's a little shaky. Enter our hero, Gideon. Now, I want you to picture this man who has absolutely no self-esteem whatsoever. He is a complete loser in every form of the word. And he knows it. And God comes to him and says something really special. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. One day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. 
that belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite. Yes, it does say Oprah. And I think that's where her name came from. Whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. Now I want to stop there because I want you to ask yourself why was he threshing wheat in the wine press? Does anyone know how you thresh wheat? Well, let me give you a hint. It ain't in a wine press. Okay? That's right. It's in a thresher. You, you know, they used to bang it, and you, all the different particles of wheat actually, it's a long process. It takes time. You do it in a wine press when you're scared to death, and you're trying to get it done as fast as you can, and you've run out of all options. And so you throw it in a wine press, and for some reason you think squeezing the doo-doo out of it is really going to, you know, bring you bread or some other kind of fiber. It doesn't. It doesn't work. So here he is working on this wine press when an angel of God comes in and says, the angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. What? Gideon replied, with me, master? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about? Didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. Verse 14, but God faced him directly. Go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? And Gideon says... Verse 15, me? How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the runt of the litter. And God said to him, I will be with you. Believe me, and you'll defeat Midian as one man. This is the first time that you're going to notice that God tells Gideon to get plugged in. God tells Gideon to get plugged in. And so what does Gideon do? I love this. If you keep reading in Judges, what you find out is that God tells Gideon that I want you to go and to tear down the altar to Baal. Right? And then when you get done tearing down the altar to Baal, I want you to build an altar to me and sacrifice. Now, Gideon does what many of us would have done. He picks the darkest time at night, <laughs> runs up the hill, tears down as fast as he can, I'm sure. I'm sure sweating and looking over his shoulder like crazy. Builds probably the puniest, you know, most appropriate altar he could. Sacrifices, run back down the hill, and goes to his daddy's house and hides. <laughs> okay? This, this is great. This is the mighty warrior that God has called. So, the crowd wakes up in the morning. They go up to present sacrifice, and they find out oh, somebody tore down the altar to Baal. Someone in the crowd says, I heard it was Gideon. Obviously, he wasn't quiet enough. <laughs> they run to where they knew he was hiding, Gideon's daddy's house, and they start screaming, send him out. We want Gideon. Send him out. And so Gideon comes out and says, I'm not afraid of you. No, that's not what happened at all. Gideon's daddy comes out and says, leave my boy alone. 
right? He says, if Baal is so big and bad, Baal will take care of it on, on his own. Now, y'all just go. So believe it or not, the people go. And they give Gideon this beautiful nickname, Jerubbaal. They no longer call him Gideon anymore. You know what Jerubbaal means? Baal's going to handle that is basically what it means. So the first time God tells Gideon to plug in, Gideon basically says, look, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. God calls to him again to plug in. Judges chapter 6, verse 33, and then verses 36 through 40. You'll read where Gideon the second time begins to get it, but even then he says, okay, God, if this is for real, do we have that, honey? I didn't think I put it in there. If this is for real, then, then, then what I want you to do is simple. I'm going to put out this little fleece. Many of you have heard this story. I'm going to put this little fleece out. And what I want you to do is I want you to make the fleece wet, but the ground dry. So Gideon goes away, comes back, guess what happened? Fleece is wet, ground is dry. Gideon goes, yeah, but maybe that was an accident. (laughs) You know, somebody might have spilled something or something. So God, now make the fleece dry and the ground wet. Goes away, right? Overnight comes back, guess what happens? Ground is wet, fleece is dry. Does Gideon plug in and go and face off against the Midianites? No, right? Because still, you know, God, ah. What's happening is God is telling Gideon, look, there's two more. We're not done yet. God is telling Gideon, listen, trust me. And, And the cool thing about God that I think in this story is, because if you know the God of the Old Testament, he's the same God as us today. We, we kind of throw away that part we talked about this week in small group. We throw away the wrath of God part, because that ain't pretty. But, but this God, full of wrath, who does not like sinners or sin. I said it right, sinners or sin. That same God, let's Gideon test him. Right? He's, he's kind of pulling him along a little bit. Instead of just yanking him up and punching him in the face, he's pulling him along because he knows Gideon's going to get it, but it's going to take a minute because Gideon is much like me and, and most of us, extremely stubborn about our lives. And God, please don't tell me how you have created me and what great things you've created me to do because I look in the mirror, right? I've run from my front door to my mailbox and had to hold my knees and breathe heavy. I know that you have not called me to do some giant, great, mighty thing. And God is saying in a lot of our minds the exact opposite, that I have called you. Quit holding onto your seat and move. Plug into me and understand the authority and the power that comes along with that. Gideon could not plug in. So God says to Gideon, listen, you're in trouble. Because while you have been sitting here fighting with me, the Midianites are getting ready to destroy you. And so what I want you to do is raise an army. So he raises an army. 
Turn with me to Judges chapter 7. He raises an army, and what I love about this is, you know, Scripture is now calling him Jeroboam. We're not even calling him Gideon anymore. He doesn't deserve it. Verse 1, Jeroboam got up early the next morning, all his troops right there with him. They set up camp at Herod's Spring. The camp of Midian was in the plain north of them near the hill of Morah. And God said to Gideon, now there's 30,000 men here, right? Gideon's got to be feeling a little strong now. There's 30,000 men. And God says, you have too large of an army with you. I can't turn Midian over to them like this. They'll take all the credit saying I did it all myself. Have we ever done that before? And forget about me. Make a public announcement. Anyone afraid? Anyone who has any qualms at all may leave Mount Gilead right now and go home. 22 companies headed for home. 10 were left. 22,000 people left. Right? Now here is the same God that called your ancestors into army, that took this land. The stories have been passed down from generation to generation. This is the same God who calls you now. But he says, if you're worried, if you're scared at all, you can go home. This great army sends two-thirds of its troops. They go running. There is no confidence in God at all. So Gideon's got 10,000 left. So I'm sure at this point, right, we're all like, hey, I still got 10,000 people. I'm, we're going to be all right. God says, verse 4, uh, there's still too many. Take them down to the stream and I'll make a final cut. When I say this one goes with you, he'll go. When I say this one doesn't go, he won't go. So Gideon took the troops down the stream. God said to Gideon, Everyone who laps with his tongue the way a dog laps, set on one side. Everyone who kneels to drink, drinking with his face to the water, set to the other side. There's a lot of people that talk about the strategy of God here and how brilliant well, pfft, God is. Imagine that. Where God understood that those troops who were drinking like this really knew how to fight. The troops who are down on their knees with their face in the water are about to get their heads split open. So God says, take all those guys that put their face down the water, send them home. How many troops do we have left? Somebody read ahead and tell me. 300. Right? Now, in my mind, I got to tell you, I've seen the movie 300. Right? So I start thinking, oh, this, this might have been 300, but these are 300 bad dudes. Right? They're, they're just in loincloths. They got big shields and mighty swords, pecs and glutes and everything working just right. Glutes, pecs, whatever, working just right. Glu I, I do have a booty. Don't even say nothing about that. No, no, no. You don't have glutes. Oh, glutes. My bad. No, I don't have. I have them. They're just buried. They're somewhere. So verse 8. <laughs> we got to get back focused. Something happened. Verse 7, God said to Gideon, I'll use the 300 men who lapped at the stream to save you and give Midian into your hands. All the rest may go home. After Gideon took all their 
provisions and trumpets. He sent all the Israelites home. He took up his position with 300 men at the camp of Midian, stretched out below him in the valley. The NIV tells us, like the grains of sand the encampment was. Now, can you imagine 300 men and Gideon, this mighty warrior who was the litter of his family, and he admitted it to God. The runt. What would I say? He's the runt of the litter. I was close. He's stand- Y'all are having too much fun correcting me tonight. He, he's, I know. This is, this is getting so far out of hand, it's not even funny. You know exactly what it means to be the church. Let's just go home. The, right, there's 300 men that stay on the hill. They're looking at this Midian army, like this, like the, the, what, oh gosh, I'm all, I, whatever. And God tells Gideon a third time, get plugged in. Get plugged in, get ready. Here we go. Gideon, still scared, Judges chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. That night God told Gideon, get up and go down to the camp. I've given it to you. If you have any doubts about going down, go down with Pura, your armor bearer, and when you hear what they're saying, you'll be bold and confident. God still understands that Gideon is still questioning. God says, get up and go. It's time. Let's go. Gideon goes, you know, so God tells him, look, if you're still afraid, get your boy, go down there, and just listen. And so God sets this beautiful stage, and so what does Gideon do? Because he's afraid, right? He doesn't fight it. He doesn't stand as a soldier and say, I am not afraid. Let us go in the name of God. No, he says, dude, come on. Let's go down there. So they crawl down there. In Judges chapter 7, Verses 13 through 15. Gideon arrived just in time to hear a man tell his friend a dream. He said, I had this dream. A loaf of barley bread tumbled into the Midianite camp. It came to the tent, and it hit so hard it collapsed. The tent fell. And his friend said back, This has to be the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has turned Midian, the whole camp, over to him. So here he is, Gideon, in this weak state, scared to death, spying on a couple people, having a little conversation. God plants this amazing moment of truth again in Gideon's heart. And guess what happens? Verse 15, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he went to his knees before God in prayer. When's the other time you've heard up to this point of Gideon doing this? Gideon has doubted. Gideon has tested. Gideon has run. And Gideon has feared. Now Gideon kneels. Then he went back to the Israelite camp and said, Get up and get going. God has just given us the Midianite army. In the American Standard Version of this, it doesn't say that Midian got on his knees. It says that, it's, or Gideon, it says that Gideon worshipped. That's the true translation here. Gideon worshipped. Gideon plugged into God. And everything 
change. I'm going to fast forward through this story for you so, so you can get a glimpse of this. I really encourage you to read it through. What happens after Gideon plugs in? Gideon shines. Gideon's weakness becomes God's strength. How many times over and over again in the Bible do we read about the weakest idiots God-picking and turning them into mighty warriors? Listen to what happens through Gideon. Israel defeats everybody. Everybody. 300. They play this cool little trick you can read about it in the Bible. It's really cool. You need to read it. That God actually turns the Midianites on themselves. Gideon and his army really don't have to do all that much. And the Midianites, the Bible tells us, they start stabbing each other. And they fight each other because they're so confused. What, read about it. You'll see. Gideon kills every leader, wipes out every single tribe. This little Israelite army. At the end of it, finally, they bring Gideon back. And the Israelites themselves beg Gideon to be their king. Gideon! Not too long ago, they were standing at daddy's front porch begging daddy to send the coward out so they could kill him. Now they're begging him to be king. And Gideon says something in Judges chapter 8, verse 23 that shows you how much he's plugged in at this point. Gideon says, I most certainly will not rule over you, and nor will my son. God will reign over you. This puny little man has become what God called him, a mighty warrior. What God knew years ago that he had created Gideon to be. What God called him on that first moment and even Gideon mocked him and said, God, you must be calling somebody else. God called him a mighty warrior then because he knew he was a mighty warrior. Gideon just didn't know it yet. So what happens to the Israelites? In the 40 years remaining that Gideon has to live, the Israelites were never attacked again. Never attacked again. The nations feared Gideon. They had 40 years of peace. They had 40 years of comfort, which created 40 years of easy living. Do you guys remember how the story started? Let's finish it, how it finishes it in Judges chapter 8, verses 33 through 35. Gideon was hardly cool in the tomb when the people of Israel had gotten off track and were prostituting themselves to Baal. They made Baal of the covenant their God. The people of Israel forgot all about God, their God, who had saved them from all of their enemies, who had hemmed them in. And they didn't keep faith with the family of Gideon, honoring all the good he had done for Israel. What does the story teach us? A couple things. One, comfort is dangerous. Comfort is dangerous. When we get off track is when what becomes important to us is comfort. What becomes important to us as the church is comfort. 
we want things that make us comfortable. We want ministries that make us comfortable. We want pastors and staff who make us comfortable. We want people around us that make us comfortable. We want a worship team that makes us comfortable. We want all the things in the church so when I invite someone or I come by myself or whatever happens and and this becomes my church, it's comfortable. And then before you know it, for 40 years you prosper and you become lazy and easy and things are good because you made them good and has nothing to do with God. And so the next time God comes and starts to rattle you a little bit, you jump back and you say, not my church. My church is comfortable, and if you come and change it, then that ain't God. Because God's all about the blessings. And the hard story that Gideon teaches us is God's not all about the blessings. God's about life lessons. God's about bringing you into the reality of who he created you to be. Our church will only be the church as we become a church full of vision. The vision that God has called us to be. To love God and to love people. Anything else, anything else other than that that brings its head into the church is false. When worship becomes more important than the vision of God, it's false. When staff members become more important, when when missions become more important, when ministries become more important than the vision of God, it's false. As a church, we must become people with a vision. Will you stand with me? There's a spot on the front of your bulletin that has some blanks, and it says this. Those who live plugged in shine brightly. Those who live plugged in shine brightly. Gideon finally plugged in, and the world around him changed. The people who he followed became followers of him. Everybody wanted to know about this God who he served who could take this puny, scared, little runt of a litter and create a mighty warrior who God knew all the way at the beginning of the story he was. God has called us all to do something special in this place, to be the church in this. Let's find that reality and plug in. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. God, we thank you for the ability to plug in. Lord, we know inside of our soul that you have created us to be something special. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we have the strength, Father, the courage to plug in and to discover what that is. That God, in One Love Church, you will create a family who knows exactly what it means to love you and to love people, who will fear nothing and know what it means to walk in your strength and your power. God, we love you. We worship you. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.